Before we open God's living word, let's turn to him in prayer. Almighty God, great and glorious, we are so thankful, we are so richly blessed to have a father who has made a plan to overcome all that has bound us in darkness and despair and bring us into the light of your presence. Father, we're thankful for the victory that your son has accomplished and the victory that he is and can accomplish in each one of our individual lives. Father, we pray this morning for your word to be proclaimed, to, to work, to penetrate each one of our hearts through your Holy Spirit, and that it wouldn't return to you void, that it would accomplish the purpose for which, with which it was sent. Father, we pray for our loved ones who are in various crises. We know those who are in health crises and our hearts go out to them. We know that we have brethren who are uh, under the bombs and, and threats of, of war and those who are fleeing and have left all behind. And Father, we just pray for your protection, for your intervention in that war to bring us to peace and for your provision, even through our hands and hearts, for those who are in such need. Father, we do pray for those who are yet captives Though the victory was accomplished, yet they still cower behind the locked doors of their hearts. We pray for you to walk through those, those walls this morning and draw and reach them no matter where they are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we are indeed remembering the glorious victory that our Lord has accomplished, uh, there are four uh, different um, perspectives captured in the Gospels. And this morning, the Lord led, has led me to the, the John uh, chapter 20 of, of the Gospel of John. And let's read that together. That's the Gospel of John chapter 20. Indeed, is so rich. Uh, we we have so much that we can take out of this triumphal, the triumph of our Lord. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter but, and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, 
and the napkin, which was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And the disciple went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken to these things unto her. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's kneel to pray. Heavenly Father, what a joy, what a delight it is to read these words again after thinking about the horrible things that happened to thy Lord, to thy Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in his last few hours before his crucifixion to see the dawning of hope in the new day and to be able some 2,000 years later now to say indeed Christ is risen and to draw from that fact a basis for our faith a hope for tomorrow and an answer to every trial we may face here below Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to know that we have a loving Father who cares not only for his, only belo- his well-beloved Son, but also for each one of us, and that we now have an advocate who calls us brethren. Our imagination stumbles at this, and when we look at our own lives and we consider our own often weak faith, Heavenly Father, we realize that it is only through thy mercy and grace that we exist that we can stand before thee and we're so thankful that the account of thy early disciples is also preserved for us so that when we perhaps doubt and struggle we can see how thou didst have such kind and comforting words even for them and so we can draw comfort from them for ourselves as well 
Be with our brother now as he would divide thy word unto us and as he would share from it. We ask that the spirit of the risen Christ would touch the hearts of all that are gathered here and that where are those, there are those that are still perhaps in skepticism and unbelief that they would realize that if they will but believe, all things will follow. The proof, the assurance, everything that is required will be there. And the joy that we see in the early disciples at this discovery that thou indeed art risen would also be ours today. Be with us now this morning hour. Dear Lord, be with those that could not gather with us, those that are elderly or sick, those that are going through difficulties, or know that we live in such uncertain times and sickness is spreading and, and rampant, but we know, Heavenly Father, also that thou art risen and thou art the answer to all, all of our problems, all of our challenges, and so we depend fully, wholly on thee. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We begin this chapter with Mary in the dark, coming early, the sepulchre. The other parallel passages tell us that there was another Mary, the mother of James, there was Salome, there was Joanna, but in every passage, the gospel writer remembers Mary Magdalene. She's the one that stuck out. Maybe the one who, who was pushing, was devoted. You have to see what a difference Jesus made in her life. Her life was hopeless. Her life was out of control. Literally, there was not just one demon, but seven demons controlling her. She was out of control. All that were close to her, driven away, all honor and dignity lost. Until one day, she met the Savior. And he spoke her name. He knew her. He freed her. And she had hope. But at this moment in time, in verse 1 of this chapter, that hope seems gone. Jesus is dead. All the dreams, all the aspirations of, of, of a glorious future, Having left all, all the disciples, they told Jesus, we've left all to follow you. And, and, and now they're cowering, they're hiding. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. They don't know if it's all been for nothing. And so there doesn't seem to be any hope in verse 1. The promises had been given. Jesus had told them, in three days, I will rise again. Tear down this temple, in three days I will raise it up. I must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. 
and yet I will raise again. And the scriptures have to be fulfilled. He told them. But somehow, at this dark moment, those promises seem distant. It might be the third day, but, but right now it's so dark, so hopeless, so full of fear. There might be some of us who struggle with other forms of loss of hope. Things that may seem impossible to resolve. We, we don't know how. There may be health challenges that we just don't see an answer to. That, that humanly doctors and, and there's just... Just no path forward that's going to resolve these things. Or, or maybe there's relational challenges and we just don't know how. Or financial challenges. There are many reasons why we may feel we are in the dark without hope. And, and we don't have a, a way out. But for Mary Magdalene, even though, even though she did not know and she struggled with the same lack of, 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 of you know, of, of confidence in all the promises of God, yet she loved Jesus. And, and she was going to be where Jesus was. She was going to come to him dead or alive. She was devoted to him because he had saved her. And so here she is in the dark on the third day, getting the front row seat. You know, this is one of the evidences that this is a true story. You see, if the disciples had tried to make up a story as, as has been claimed and has been accused by, by those who are, are um, detractors, that this was some sort of legend after the fact, they wouldn't have used a woman, much less a woman of disrepute, whose, whose word had no weight even in, in, in court. But it was written like this because it was true. And you can have confidence that these words are true. These aren't a cleverly, cleverly crafted narrative like the ones you hear. This has to be true. Those who were changed by this went on to give their lives, some as far as India and all throughout the world, because they knew this was true. People may lie, but people will not die for their own lie. As Blaise Pascal said, I believe witnesses who are willing to have their throats cut. This is a true story. And as we come to this moment, this moment where Mary realizes that Jesus is alive and that changes everything. 
And how does Jesus choose to do this? How does Jesus choose? He's he's the God of the universe who spoke the universe into being. He could have done it any way possible. He could have appeared on the temple, ripping the veil in between and say, here I am, the way to God. He could have done it in the most dramatic and public way. He chooses to meet Mary one-on-one in the garden. He chooses to reveal himself with one word, her name. He just said, Mary, and she knew. The God of the universe who has the power not only to speak into being, but to, to raise himself from the dead meets you personally. I've always been touched by the, the story of Hagar. You know, someone who doesn't get a lot of uh, pages and not a lot of positive mention in the scripture, but, but as she was weeping there in the desert, not wanting to see her child die, God speaks to her. And she calls it Jehovah Shammah, the God who hears me, who sees me, the God who sees. And God sees you personally. And you, you haven't had seven devils. You haven't lived a life of complete depravity to that extent that she has, but God sees you. And none of that stops him from loving you and coming to meet you one-on-one and to reveal that what you see as hopeless is something that he can turn into glorious day, brighter. Because when Jesus said, Mary, she knew that every word he spoke was true. Not only the promise that he would rise again from the dead, but that he would be with you to the ends of the world. Not only that he was the Son of God, but that his blood would save you from all sin, no matter how dark and crimson. It would be as white as snow. That he is going to prepare a place for everyone. And that our hearts don't have to be troubled. That we can have a peace that this world doesn't understand, cannot know. And that he is coming back. All those things we know are true. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, then they would be words of a great prophet, some of whose words were deep and profound, but we are not sure. Yes, he multiplied bread, walked on water, raised the dead. 
but we would be in doubt whether that sacrifice on the cross would be enough to cover my sin. But because he rose from the dead, you as well as Mary can know that every word is true. There have been many who claim to be the sons of God or even daughters of God. I was reading about one Jemima Williamson in Rhode Island in the 1750s who, who said she was a, the daughter of God and, you know, just, the, but you, know, you don't know her name because she made this great claim that, you know, just lay me out when I'm dead and I'm going to rise again after three days and they were waiting for three days and nothing happened. That's why you don't know her name, because it isn't true. Muhammad is still in that cube in Mecca, and Buddha is buried, and Confucius, and every other great leader, but one, one alone, raised from the dead. And in him, you can have confidence that nothing, can keep you in the dark anymore. The, uh, the story in uh, J.R.R. Tolkien tells a story of, uh, it's, it's sort of Gandalf is kind of the Jesus um, uh, illusion. And uh, as he comes back to life after sacrificing himself to save the, the, the people, um, he's met by... The, one of his faithful friends, and he, he's just wondering, how can you be alive? If you're alive, does that mean that everything that is sad will become untrue? Does that mean that everything that is sad will become untrue? There are a number of things that make us sad. My father is losing so much. He's losing his life bit by bit. We see the progression day after day, week after week. The doctors are, are, not, are, are starting to predict an end. We see him losing his ability to, to, to remember my name, to, to, to know where he is, what day it is, many things. All of those things are loss. They're a loss of dignity, a loss of, of, of power of your body and over things that he wants to do for himself that are very basic and he can't and, and feels a deep sense of shame and frustration. These are all sad things as, as life takes its toll on his body. But all of that will become untrue. The day will come when he will be able to walk, run, and maybe even fly. The day will come when he will not only know my name, he will understand the mysteries 
as the Lord himself reveals them to him, the day will come when all that is currently sad and loss and pain and grief will become untrue for him. That death will be swallowed up in victory. Sin will have no sting. In every one of those challenges that we're facing, they can become untrue through the power of the risen Lord. It is all temporary. Whether it is my health or material, some things do require our response. We can see even Peter doubting, Mary struggling, and the disciple John, who doesn't name himself out of, out of um, humility, coming to a point of faith in this story as he, he beholds the napkin laid by itself, interesting thing I, I don't know if I've mentioned this before but we believe that we even have this linen cloth the shroud of Turin it's incredible that there's an, a negative image burned into it as if some energy radiated out from the body of someone who was crucified in the first century with the pollen of first century Palestine in bed in that cloth it's incredible evidence there is so much evidence. But yet, we see John in verse 8, he came also in, and at that point he believed. He didn't believe when the promise was given. God had to be gracious. He gave him more evidence. But what do you do? What do you do with the evidence God has given you? We read in Matthew... There were others who were physically present when the angel came down and rolled away that stone. And they went to their secular bosses. They received a huge bribe for their silence. They had plenty of evidence, but they chose to suppress it. It didn't fit with what was comfortable for the continuance of their lifestyle and their, their, all that they had been building their lives on. They weren't willing to, to trade that for the power of a resurrected Jesus Christ. They wanted to cling on to their earthly kingdoms rather than be part of the heavenly kingdom. They wanted to cling on to the stuff they could not keep rather than gain the stuff they could not lose. Do we suppress the truth that we know is true? Someone once said that faith is when the... the um, 
the unbelievable, I forget, it become, meets the undeniable, that we, 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 we see things that are unbelievably someone raising from the dead, but yet we have this undeniable evidence that, that here is Jesus. He's standing in front of us. In Matthew, they're even on the mount where he's about to send into heaven, and some doubt it. Later on in this very chapter, you know, Jesus shows up, he eats the fish and so on, and Thomas isn't there, and he's doubting. Doubt is something we all have to wrestle with. Charles Spurgeon once said, it's kind of like you lift, doubt is lifting up your foot. Now, the question is, are you going to step forward or step backward? What are you going to do with that? It's not wrong to doubt. It's not wrong to wrestle with doubts. Everyone has to. But the question is, are we like those guards or the temple uh, uh, priests that they reported to that are saying, here's some money, just keep quiet, keep it comfortable? Or are we going to be like Mary? We may struggle with our doubts. John did too. Peter did too. But when, when God comes to us and says your name, are you going to respond and radically follow, even if it means your life? That's a choice for each one of us. Because this changes everything. The fact that Jesus is risen again changes everything. There's a whole new level now. Your life is not all there is. Up till now, you had your 70 years if you had that many, and that's it. Now you have eternity. Eternity is open before you. And what you do now affects where you will spend eternity. Jesus has ripped open the veil. He's made a way through his broken body for you to go into eternity with God. And now all this broken body and broken mind and broken mistakes and patterns of my past are don't define me. They don't limit me. By God's grace and by his blood and by his risen body, I am not defined by the seven demons, but by a Lord and Savior who calls my name as he has called each and every one of yours. And now, like Lazarus, we can respond to that name being called and we can leave the tomb of corruption and decay of our past lives and walk out blinking, needing to be unwrapped and unbound into the light because he says, I am the resurrection life. He that believeth me will never die. We're not bound we live in this past few years, we, there's, there's much reason for despair, much reason for sadness. We see corruption and lies and, 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 and negativity on so many levels. But that is not the end. We can get 
deep into our rabbit holes of conspiracy theories and reality theories of all that's going wrong on this planet. And there's lots going wrong on this planet. But there was a lot going wrong in first century Palestine. And there was a lot of corruption and, and injustice and horrific um, tra uh, tra travesties, abuses of power back then too. And yet those who believed in the risen Lord had a boldness. They were not going to be intimidated by the corrupt, bought-off authorities. They're going to say that, you know, whether to listen to you or to listen to God, I am not going to keep my mouth shut. Whether you beat me, imprison me, take my life, I know what I've seen, and I'm not going to let political correctness or, you know, my, uh, or anything you can offer me keep me from telling the truth. And that's the final thing Jesus tells Mary. He says her name. He reveals the truth of who he is and what he has done. And he gives her a commission. He gives her a job to do. A purpose. An opportunity to make a difference for eternity. He says, go. Go. Go and tell my brethren that I'm going to my father and to your father. You, broken woman of a tainted past, are not defined by that past. You are now the daughter of the living God. The, my Father, the Father in Heaven, is your Father. And your Father wants you to go and tell. Are we going to be bought off? Is our silence going to be purchased? Or are we going to be so full of the incredible implications that we have the answer to a world that is, is, is struggling with anxiety and fear and captive to lies and deceit. And we have the truth, explosive truth. We need to go and tell. I mentioned a few times about the church in China and the house church where their, 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 um, their school of theology is prison where they know they will pay a price for their faith. And yet they feel called to go and bring the gospel to the Muslims, to bring the gospel back to Jerusalem, they say, from China through the 1040 window of the, the um, extremist Hindus and, and all those that would take their life for the very mention of Jesus. But they're committed. 
They already have given their life away. They know they've signed their death warrant and, and loss of possessions. So for them to go and to give it all to Jesus is, is, is their, their privilege. You read in 1 Corinthians 9, you see Paul saying, look, if I preach the gospel, I better preach the gospel. Woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. I don't get any credit for preaching the gospel. But if I can do it at no expense, at my own expense, and not even, you know, uh, um, have my expenses met, and at least I can give up my rights and I can become all things to all people that I might by all means win some, then that's at least something I can give to the Lord who saved me, he says. And that's how they see it. But we are privileged. We need to be careful that we are not bought off. That our silence is not purchased. That we are not intimidated. But what we can lose, because we have something to lose, we think. It's the Marys who appreciate who are the dedicated ones. And it is when we see just what the Lord has saved us from, when we see the depths he has saved us, to the heights he has raised us, that our gratitude motivates us to truly leave nothing behind, to give it all, to hold nothing back. Hallelujah. He is risen. May each one of us respond with the same joy to a God who knows your name and is calling you to an undefeatable future where all that is sad will be made untrue.